Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we might actually be kind of hopeful and maybe a little bit happy. Just a little? I don't know. Um, I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks. With me, as always, is Karen Peterson. It is a really good day, isn't it? <laughs> it is, you know, it's a nice day. It's a nice day. Are you having a good day so far, Karen? I'm having a great week so far, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> and not just because it's leap day, either. I, absolutely. So, so yes, it is leap day, which means that this is a day that does not exist in many other years, so that's exciting. Uh, and, and I think we're gonna, let's just start right off, because of course, the, the big story is obviously the Candyman trailer. Um, <laughs> no, we're gonna, we're gonna start with the, the major story that, uh, that happened earlier this week. Harvey Weinstein is a convicted rapist. He Yay! is such a rapist, and we can say it, and he can't sue us. <laughs> We can print it on t-shirts. We can have t-shirts that say, Harvey Weinstein is a rapist, and there is nothing he can do about it because fuck him. He was convicted uh, in New York court. He was convicted on two counts, one of uh, rape in the third degree and uh, criminal sex act in the first degree. So he was convicted on two of what what are widely considered to be the more minor charges, but um, that he was facing. So he was not convicted of the rape of Annabelle Sciorra. Um, and, and so there's, there's a little bit of tempering of, of the feelings, but at the same time, the maximum, uh, sentence is 25 years for the third degree rape. So this is like a major, this is a major thing, especially given that we, you know, we didn't even know if this was, if this was going to happen, if he was actually going to get convicted and he was, he was actually convicted and he is going to have to face sentencing. He is probably going to have to face a good bit of jail time. Um, he is right now, I believe, still in uh, the hospital because he had he had a tough time with his conviction. Um, he was very upset, you know, and uh, and he had heart palpitations and a couple of other things. So they eventually took him to the hospital. Um, fuck him. I think like, the most surprising thing about that news is that there's a heart in there. Because <laughs> I didn't know that existed, but yeah. <laughs> Well, and and wonderfully, he was remanded into custody, which means that you know, if, he does, if they, yeah, which which means that he was not like released on bail immediately or anything like that. So he is going to he is being punished, and he is going to have to face punishment. Um, he is now in the infirmary at Rikers uh, at Rikers Island. So. Of course, his lawyer is saying that he's going to appeal. He is also facing charges in Los Angeles. 
uh, which are moving ahead. So there are more things that are coming for Harvey Weinstein, and hopefully they are all going to be incredibly bad for him and very cathartic for us. Karen, how do you feel? How do you feel about Weinstein, who kind of, you know, give the man credit, he helped to launch this podcast because we (laughs) talked about him on the third episode, and this became a major focus that we've been talking about for years now. So how do you feel? Oh my gosh, I'm feeling so good. It's it's crazy because, I mean, this really has been something that we never... Back when we first talked about the allegations against him and all the women were coming forward to say what he had done to them, we didn't even think that he would ever be charged with anything criminally. Mm-hmm. And then he was. And then we were like, okay, yeah, but something's going to happen and he's not going to actually end up going to trial. And then he did. And we were like, yeah, but I mean, they never convict rapists. It's 2%, I think, of, of rape cases end up in convictions. And... It just didn't seem possible. And then he was convicted. And it's just, it feels like a miracle. It feels like, it feels like this, in a weird way, it feels like this reign of terror is really over. I mean, just Mm -hmm. a couple months ago, he was showing up to some young performers night thing in a club. And a girl who was mad about it was the one who got kicked out, not him. And the fact that now he's facing 29 years because it's 25 for the one charge and four for the other. So he could go to, he could end up in jail for the rest of his life. And that is so incredible. And it really does feel like everything that he built is crumbling down. And it's, it's still just the start. There's still a lot of problems. This doesn't fix Hollywood. This doesn't fix the culture that allowed a person like him to go unchecked for so long. But it's a really good start. Yeah, it's, it's, it is very cathartic. I've been sort of trying to explain to some of my male friends, like, and, and most of them are very happy as well. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that they're not, but, but to explain like that this, this is amazing. And one of the sad things is that we do consider it amazing. Yeah. That we do, you know, there was that part of me when the, um, you know, and I kept on saying like, oh, whatever happens, it'll be fine, you know, we'll we'll work through it, etc. But then when the little notifications began popping up saying like, oh, the jury has come back with a verdict, I was like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it was just, it, there was that moment of like, I'm going to have to steal myself to for whatever happens. And, and the fact that they came back with some convictions is, is wonderful. And, um, and it is amazing how unexpected it was given how public this, uh, his crimes have been given how broad in scope his crimes have been. But of course there's a difference between what we know and what he's been accused of and what he can actually be charged with, um, and ultimately convicted by. So it's, it is a it is a wonderful thing. Yes, absolutely. This is not the end. This this really is the beginning. And I know that there are a lot of people who are going, ah, this is a great victory for me too. And it's like, yes, it definitely is. But this is the start. This is where we're starting off at. This is something that needed to happen. Um, and it does give you hope for uh, for the future of the feminist movement right now and for the future of actually holding these very powerful men. And we can't underestimate how powerful Weinstein is in Hollywood. Um, to actually pay for the crimes that they have committed. <clears throat> I was and the things. Sorry, you go on. Oh, I was just going to say I listened to uh, Ronan Farrow did a bonus episode of his podcast, which ended just a week or so ago, 
Um, (laughs) He's like, yeah, we're done. We've talked about it all. And then the verdict happened and a bunch of people begged him to do one more episode. And so he did. And it was just an hour long conversation with Rose McGowan, who Hmm. is the one who really started this all back in the 90s. She talked about this. She told people what he did to her, that he raped her at Sundance back in 97. And so, and, and that, the fact that she spoke up is what derailed her career and it caused her to go down some really terrible paths. And, and now a lot of people just consider her just this like crazy person, which, you know, it's not totally unjustified to say that, but, um, but a lot of what has happened in her life has been because of Harvey and because of other really bad people. And this conversation was so interesting to listen to because she talks about how um, for the first time that she can even remember, she actually has a little bit of hope and she feels like she can exhale and Mm -hmm. that things can actually start to change. And it was just so, um, I don't know, there was just something soothing about listening to someone like her who has been like so many people just have kind of written her off and Mm -hmm. to hear someone like her talking about what this does and what, what she feels like now she can move forward with her life too. It just, it felt really good to hear that. Yeah. And that's, that's the point of things like this. It's really, you know, I've I've had some interesting conversations about this issue of punishment and how much is he actually going to be punished and he is going to be punished and he is being punished. I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious. Even the whole process is punishing him. But that it ultimately, in many ways, it's not about punishing him. It's not about making him suffer, per se. It's about providing catharsis and closure for the people that he's hurt. Mm -hmm. And that that's really what's important. The victims are the important ones here. And to have these women who have done very brave things. You're saying Rose McGowan lost her career, essentially, because she spoke up. It has taken this long to actually bring this man to anything like resembling justice. I mean, just think about how much power he has had over the past 30 years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and now it has reached a point where he's actually been convicted. He is a convicted rapist. We can say that. Mm-hmm. Um and, and these women get some degree of closure. And I remember back uh, when the Bill Cosby trial was going on and they finally convicted him. And there was all this talk just like, well, he doesn't think he did anything wrong. So, so you know, he's not going to really suffer. It's like, well, no, he's going to suffer. But that's not the point. I remember seeing these women crying in the hallways because this man who had hurt them and who had damaged their lives was actually going to pay for what he did. And that's the point. It really isn't like, here's how he's going to suffer. It's like, no, here's how they're going to be able to heal. And that's what we need to focus on. These women are incredibly brave. They did an incredible thing. And it has actually resulted in a change. And and hopefully it will result in more people coming forward, in more people being confident that maybe they can come forward and something will be done. And also, hopefully, scare the shit out of a lot of really abusive men. Right. And also, um, scare the women who help them and empower the ones yeah. who are too afraid to, to stop them. Because yeah. I think you've got a lot of, of women 
and young men that are, you know, trying to build their own careers. And some of it is that they just don't give a shit. And so they're willing to just do whatever because they're like, ah, who cares? These people are benefiting from it. So why should I worry about what happens to them? Uh, and then there's other people who are just really afraid. And mm-hmm. like, there's so many stories. If you read uh, Ronan's book, Catch and Kill, or if you listen to his podcast, there's so many stories about women who worked for Harvey who tried to warn other women, but they couldn't just come right out and say it. And it's like, I hope uh-huh. that now that this has happened, that network will start to crumble and that people will stop protecting these men um, and and understand that it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's that whole thing. That, and we talked we talked about this uh, in terms of the kind of the launch of the Me Too movement and Time's Up and everything that uh, there there always has existed at some level a whisper network among women and that you often hear like, well, don't be alone in the room with them. Don't be alone in the elevator with them. Mm-hmm. Things like that. And But the problem is, of course, is that it's women depending upon other women and a few good men to warn them, but not actually doing anything about it. Right, saying like, "Oh yeah, he totally like he he goes after young actresses." Just like, okay, that's illegal, right? You're not supposed to be doing like that is an actual crime, right? And but then everyone is like, "Well, just just don't just don't be alone with him." It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Is just, is he creepy or is he a, a fucking rapist? Right. Well, and one of the problems is that that sets up like, well, I told her, and so now yeah. if she's in those situations, now you're kind of setting it up where it's her fault because she was warned, and that's not fair, she and it's known. not true. And yeah. actually, that just reminded me of something else that that Rose was talking about because she got into more details about what happened to her and in, uh, in '97, and uh, not the specifics of the rape itself, but the fact that. The whole reason she was there was because it was a breakfast meeting in the dining room. And what is unsafe about that? And their whole conversation Mm -hmm. through that whole breakfast was about movies. It was about the industry. It was about work. She had no reason to suspect anything was going to happen until it did. And Mm -hmm. she actually took a swipe at Donna Rantano, who's his attorney, who (laughs) said, oh, I would never get raped because I'd never put myself in that situation. And she's like, have you never had a breakfast meeting, Donna? Because that's the situation I put myself in. Well, that's that's the thing. And of course, we've, we've talked about how, how, the way that his defense kind of came out. And it was, and a lot of it really was kind of textbook in terms of using these arguments against women. Well, don't put yourself in that position. Don't dress that way. Um, you got something out of it. What are you complaining about? You know, all right. of that, that sort of rhetoric that gets going around in rape culture and around, particularly in Hollywood, where uh, you do have things like having a breakfast meeting and you go to someone's hotel. That's normal, right? That mm-hmm. isn't something that you automat- that automatically sends up a red flag that might in other industries. Right. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, and, and these women like her who are uh, protecting powerful men who are using their positions as women to shame other women and to to almost have some kind of cred, right? To say like, well, I would never do such a thing. I would never put myself in a position for this to happen, right? So it's your own fault if you do. And you hear that kind of rhetoric constantly from both men and women. And it's like, that's not how it works. And, and we need to kill those notions. And, and hopefully this kind of a conviction will go at least some distance in, in beginning to kill those notions. Yeah. 
We can hope. But for now, I'm going to take this celebration for what it is. And, you know, it really is a good day. And, and like you said before, the DA in, here in L.A. has confirmed that the trial, they are going to move forward. And that's going to be awesome. There's actually more charges that he's facing here in L.A. And some of them are much more recent. And it looks like... I mean, it looks like the case in L.A. is even stronger than the one in New York. And if they were able to get him on two counts in New York, it's just, I mean, I think we've, other than when he comes to trial here, we've seen the last of Harvey Weinstein. He's going to rot. Yay. Fuck you, Harvey. You're a <laughs> fucking right. rapist. Fuck off and go fucking <laughs> die in prison. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's, it is very cathartic. There is very like, oh, Yes. Yes. Um, okay, let's, well, let's move on to, to talk about, you know, I feel kind of transition. bad moving on. I feel kind of bad moving on after this because I'm just like, okay, well, let's talk about another convicted rapist. Uh- <laughs> well, that's the thing is like, I wanted to do a whole episode the day that he was convicted, but we just weren't able to get that together. I wanted to do a, a Harvey-centric episode, but... Oh well, that's okay. Well, yeah. actually, you know what? Let's talk. Let's talk about more badass women. Let's frame it like let's that because this is I like it. This isn't about a convicted rapist. This is about some badass women who actually stood up and said, "This is bullshit." Um, so yesterday, yesterday, uh, the French held their César Awards, which is hosted by the French Academy. It's kind of a big. It's a big thing. It's um, the French Oscars. France. Yeah, there were all now Roman Polanski. Uh, who, as we know, is a convicted rapist, um, was nominated for Best Director uh, for his feature, uh, J'accuse, and he won. At which point, a number of women, but most prominently um, uh, Adele Hanel and uh, Celine Sciamma, who uh, are the star and director of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, got up and walked out and you can see in the video, there's no sound in the original video, but like <laughs> Hanel's like sh- throwing up her hands and obviously shouting something. I wish I could read lips and spoke better French. But she um, definitely said, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then there, there is video afterwards of both her and uh, Scalma walking out and she's shouting, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. Hooray for the pedophile. Hooray for the pedophile. So this was very loud and very angry, obviously, and this was in in direct protest of Polanski winning uh, Best Director. And it was also uh, within the context of larger protests that were going on outside of the Cesar Awards that were, again, about Polanski and about his convictions and everything. So on the one hand, we're looking at, yet again, the French Academy is rewarding someone who is, you know... I have my own things with Polanski, but he is a convicted rapist. There is absolutely no doubt about that. He he pled guilty. Yeah, he fled the United States. He stood in court and said, yep, I did it. And then he ran Uh, away. uh, So, so, you know, the fact that particularly within this context of the conviction of Harvey Weinstein, of, you know, France, all film industries having their own reckoning. Hanel, who is a, a rape survivor... Um, and who was, who was uh, molested as a child by a director, 
you know, she has reason to be angry. And, and all of these women have reason to be angry, whether or not you're a survivor. Um, so on the one hand, it's kind of like, oh, great, Polanski. But on the other hand, it's really, it's a good thing to see these women willing to make these public protests and willing to say, like, this is bullshit and this has to end. And I said last night, and we, we both said, um, France is going to have their own Me Too reckoning in a way that I don't think we are entirely prepared for. Yeah. I don't think that the, I don't think the French society is entirely prepared for because women are pissed. And there were, like, near riots at the Cesar Awards. So this is this is a major thing, and it's not going away. And I'm I'm certain that Polanski is going to be a major focal point for all of this. So what do you think, Karen? Yeah, I completely agree. I think I think Polanski is going to be a focal point, and I think that him winning and also his film getting twelve nominations mm-hmm. would I think that's a tipping point that France isn't really ready for. And I think that when this this house of cards comes down, it's going to be bigger than Weinstein. I really do. I mean, so many of the stories that you hear from French directors, um, so many of the stories of actresses, um, even American actresses going to work in France. There's so many things like, I mean, I've heard all kinds of stuff about things that happen at Cannes and they never do anything about it. And France has no, has a notorious history of just being very open and not allowing convictions on rape. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they very rarely uh, even arrest people or charge them. Like, I mean, our, our rate here in the United States is low, but France is like, France makes us look like we're doing a good job. If that tells you anything. <laughs> so I think that what's going to happen there is going to be huge. And I think it's going to be spearheaded by women like Adele Hanal and Celine Siama standing up and saying, we're done with this. We're sick of it. We're not taking this anymore. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to crumble. And I think it's on the verge of happening now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there is definitely this, this growing anger. And I think, I think that it's being felt by women all over the world, but obviously we all live in very different cultures sometimes. And, and French culture is, is different in, in a certain sense, at least surrounding sex and particularly um, older men preying on, on young, on young women and girls is much more permissive. Yeah. Uh, just, in, just culturally, socially um, than the United States is we still in the United, for the most part in the United States, and we have our own problem. There's no doubt. I'm not saying that we don't. Um, but socially in the United States, we, there's much, we tend to raise our eyebrows when, um, older men are kind of going after talking about the sexual characteristics of, of very young women or of underage girls. Uh, in France, there's, it's a little bit more, relax there's a little bit more of an attitude just like well of course you know they're they're, they're these beautiful women and these men are attracted to them and all of that stuff so there's there's much more of of a permissiveness and a willingness to just sort of brush that off and and not think that it's a big deal when of course it is and obviously someone like um hanel has experienced it and for these women to to again willing to very very publicly it was a public protest you know, this wasn't like sitting in your seat grumbling about it. This was like, I'm going to get up and walk out. Um, 
and that's again brave and and it's also good to see it also shows the degree of anger uh that is underlying all of this and that is saying like you know we're not gonna we're not gonna take it anymore um so yeah i have i have hope i have hope for france you know it's always two steps forward one step back but i i do think that things might be might be changing in the right direction hopefully maybe i don't know <laughs> yeah well we'll be here to watch it and talk all about it as it does yes indeed okay so let's you know what let's talk about something fun i guess is the word that i would that i would use let's let's talk about Candyman, as i mentioned earlier yes. uh we don't talk about trailers much anymore on this podcast but but Candyman trailer came out and i think that we are about somewhat excited so karen i'm gonna <laughs> let you start off with what are your feelings about this spiritual sequel to the original Candyman? Man, uh, so I only saw the original Candyman like once, I think, back in 92 when it came out. And I remember liking it sort of, but I wasn't as into horror as I, as I am now. And so I just never watched it again. And when I heard they were doing a sequel, I just kind of was like, okay, whatever. And then I saw the trailer this week and I saw it again yesterday because I went and saw The Invisible Man again. And um, they showed the trailer ahead of that. And I just was like, okay, this is the first time I'm interested in this movie. It looks really good. It looks super creepy. And oh my gosh, that cast. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. I I have to say, like, I, I really liked uh, the first. I was much older when I saw Candyman for the first time um it was let's see uh i would have been i would no, i would have been in my mid-20s so yeah, i saw it in grad school it was in the context of a class uh about horror and difference and so i was talking a lot about the return of the repressed and of course Candyman is, is a perfect example of that it takes a lot of the violence takes place in a housing project in chicago notorious housing project in chicago um it is about the son of a slave who falls in love with a white woman um, all of this stuff. So it's it's a fascinating film in itself. When I saw this trailer, I was like, oh, oh, this is going to be interesting because it, it is actually a direct sequel to the original film um, following the uh, a, now a young man who is an infant and who is abducted by Candyman in the original film. And it also has, I believe it does have, uh, yeah, Vanessa Estelle Williams, who is his mother, who is also in the original film. And so there's a lot of nice kind of relationships and everything that's dealing with issues of gentrification um, and race. And it is also being, uh, was written by Jordan Peele and is being directed by Nia DaCosta, who is an African-American woman. So this is going to be really interesting, I think. This is, there is so much interesting stuff about gender and about race and about the relationship between gender and race in the original film. And I, I'm fascinated by what they're going to do with that. Um, and it seems like Tony Todd, who's the original Candyman, is probably going to be back, at least in voice, if not in name. Which, that's super cool. I loved their yeah. use of Say My Name in the trailer. Mm -hmm. That was great, because just the way that they slowed it down and, oh, so perfect. Um just the way that the trailer unfolds and yeah, I don't, 
I don't normally like talking about trailers that much anymore because I think it's kind of boring. But, um, but just yeah, the way that it starts off with those girls standing in front of the mirror and it brought back memories of like when we used to do stupid crap like that when we were kids and um, and it just and it also kind of brought back those. I was like, I need to watch the original again, which is on Netflix, by the way. Um, and. Yeah, 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 yeah. Abdul Mateen, who's just so hot, is in this, <laughs> and <laughs> he was most recently in in uh, Watchmen. Um, Tayona Paris is in it. I'm just, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, it, it looks really good, and I and I have to say, I also rewatched the original. Um, actually, the day that the trailer came out, because I was like, I'm totally gonna watch this. It's been a while, <laughs> and and I was reminded of just like you know Tony Todd when he first appears, and he's just like, be my victim. I'm like, all right, sure, yeah, awesome, <laughs> sounds good. Um, <laughs> so, but I I guess that that the you know, and a lot of Clive Barker's stuff is very much like that. Is is about that relationship between. Ex- extreme violence sometimes and sex and mm-hmm. desire and that and pain and all that stuff and it's it's always very weird but also very appealing which is kind of the point um so yes the, the and this film looks like it's carrying on that that excellent tradition so i will be interested to see what happens and i do i do trust jordan peele and i do trust nia DaCosta. i think that this is going to be really interesting I never would have thought before Get Out that Jordan Peele would be such a gifted uh, craftsman when it comes to horror movies. But yeah, with Get Out, Us, I think, had some problems, but it was still really effective when it focused on the horror side. And then now with this, I'm I'm excited to, to just see the direction that his career is going. It's really cool. Yeah. I do think we want to be clear that he's not directing right um, no he's not but this. he's yeah he's produced it and yeah and he also he wrote the script with with DaCosta so he's definitely involved with it but I I also think that there's this tendency and you, we saw it on on Twitter a little bit that everyone's talking about Jordan Peele's Candyman it's like well it's actually right, yeah. DaCosta's Candyman <laughs> right exactly um, yeah and, and she's obviously- done some really cool stuff too she did Little Woods which I yeah. don't know if I don't think a lot of people saw that um but she also did the new version of sleeping with the enemy which had you know wasn't that great but uh still some really interesting things like she has a really cool eye and i'm i like that yeah absolutely um so okay let's you know what let's move on with a couple of listener questions obviously we didn't record last week uh so we still have some leaveover questions from there and i want to start with this one just because i I went to see the movie again yesterday uh (laughs) i almost did (laughs) (laughs) four times four times i have seen birds of prey four times now which means i have made up for three whiny man children not going to see it so yeah fuck you guys and you know what there are a couple that i specifically thought of just like this is your ticket this is your ticket you have now seen this movie uh (laughs) so this is from this is from at bc wallen harley quinn and the birds of prey have all had their character establishing redefining movie what's your ideal sequel you know, I was trying to think about this because I do not know the comic books or the cartoons terribly well. This it's just not my thing. Um, so I don't really know where in the comic books or anything that you could you can sort of pull uh, character development and stuff like that. But one of the things I was thinking about is that I know Poison Ivy gets involved at some point. 
And I believe that at some point she's also she also dates Harley. And I would be fascinated to see something <laughs> like that, to actually introduce Poison Ivy and to bring in sort of a, a romance between the two of them or an attraction. Um, obviously, at the end of the film, we've got this great setup. Uh, yeah, spoiler alert for anyone who still hasn't seen it. How dare you, first of all. Uh, second of all, I'm, I'm going to spoil the end of the film. Uh, we've got this great setup where Harley and Cassandra are working together as, I, I'm assuming, mercenaries and badass motherfuckers. Uh, and, With and a little person- bit of grifting thrown in. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, Harley is still a criminal, and she yep. still likes that. She's still so, gonna which Harley. I, which, I, which I appreciate. Um, and meanwhile, the birds of prey, the dorky little do-gooders, are... Uh, <laughs> Are, are off, you know, protecting Gotham from crime because Batman is just a fucking moron, obviously. Uh, and, and so you've got an interesting setup already where they can kind of be in cahoots with each other. They can also be against each other. There can be some interesting pushing and pulling going on there. I think to just drop Poison Ivy into the middle of all of that would be fascinating. So that's where I'm at. What do you think, Karen? Oh, I like it. Yeah, I was kind of thinking with these these women, I wasn't even thinking about who to add into the mix, but, um, but yeah, I was thinking like in a sequel, I definitely want to see more of what Black Canary can do. Cause wow, that girl has pipes yeah. and, um, and I want to see more of that. So definitely something where you've got the birds of prey now and they're off fighting crime for Batman. Cause he's, you know, become a loser. Um, and then Somewhere along the way, either they have to join back forces again with with Harley and Cassandra, or yeah, maybe they're chasing after them because of something that happened. I don't know. Uh, that could be really interesting. And but oh man, I like this Poison Ivy idea. Who would play her? I don't know. I don't know. Cause you you would want someone relatively about the same age as uh, as um, Margot Robbie. Right. Uh, so you want someone within the same generation and everything. The I don't first know. one that popped into my head was Emma Stone. Yeah, I would be interested to see her go bad. Like, yeah. I think that would be that would be interesting. Of course, she's doing. She's gonna be. Is she Cruella Deville? She is. Mm-hmm. So that might be kind of an early foray into that. That would be sort of interesting. I'm trying to think of. Of who else could be actually to be totally honest i really liked uma thurman in the the very terrible <gasps> batman and robin movie she was great but her daughter oh that's true yeah that's oh my true. gosh that i can... just blinked on her name but yeah she was robin in uh stranger things 3 oh oh my gosh i'm totally blinking on her name right now Oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. Oh yeah, that, that could that could be interesting. Maya, Maya, Maya yeah, Hawk. that that could be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I I, th- I think one of the things I like about Birds of Prey is that there is a, a fascinating setup. That there's a lot of places you can go with those characters, um, and 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 I do definitely want to see them all kind of get back together because Harley so obviously wanted friends. <laughs> she just wanted people to have tacos with and like some margaritas or something. That could be another element that that maybe they every once in a while they get together and are just like, okay, we're going to totally have a truce, Harley. You're committing crimes that we should be stopping, but we all want to go get tacos. <laughs> uh, so I would like to see a little bit more of that of of the 
the group getting to be together and getting to, to work with one another and hang out. Uh, just because I love those ladies. Love it. So. <laughs> All right. So let's see. So we have another question from at Musical Ello. And I haven't thought too heavily about this, but it's, a, it's an interesting one. Um, if you had to only see one movie from each decade of the 20th century, what would they be and why? Hmm. Let's see. Well, there are a lot of decades. There are. I think from the first decade, I'd probably pick The Great Train Robbery because it's cool. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't even know. Like, I don't know where to start with that. That's a fun question. Um, it's hard because I think that there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for the 1960s, for me, Psycho definitely oh yeah um and that's the thing it's like man there are some some years even where i can't pick one from just one year let alone a whole decade uh i think for the 1990s the matrix probably Mm. um that's one that that popped into my head that is such it is such a 90s movie it's actually a very late 90s movie yeah. Um, but guys, like, if you ever rewatch The Matrix, it's very <laughs> 90s. It's shockingly 90s. You're just like, oh, wow, this is so groundbreaking. <laughs> but also, oh, my God. <laughs> I think probably the 90s movie I've watched more than any other is Scream. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great 90s movie. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Uh, I think... I. Don't quote me on it, but I think that the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film is the 80s. I love that movie, yes, 1989. Yeah, okay, good. So, yes, I'm definitely on there. And that's that's just my childhood memories. I loved loved the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I loved the first film. And it's also such a weird view of New York because you you look at it now, it's just like, really? Oh, my God. (laughs) I think for me, for the 80s, it would probably be... Either Top Gun or Back to the Future. I'm gonna have to go Top Gun because my boyfriend's in that one. Shocked. I'm yeah. Shocked. I know. I like to surprise people. Now and then. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, from the seventies. Seventies are hard because I think that there there are a lot of very interesting films. Probably Taxi Driver. Um, just because I think it's so brilliant but also um i think this is still 70s mccabe and mrs miller the robert altman film with mm. uh, warren Beatty and julie christie um and that's a fascinating film too yeah my initial reaction was oh probably the godfather but i don't know if that's correct i don't know i mean uh, i know most people would expect me to say star wars but i've seen that enough i'm okay I have it playing in my brain. It's fine. Um, Jaws is great. American Graffiti is a lot of fun. I don't know. Yeah, it is. What, what about the 1950s? See, this is one where I have a couple of different years where I've got multiple films that I'm like, I don't want to give that one up. <laughs> like Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. And All About Eve. And those are in the same year. And I like them both. And I would want to pick them both. <laughs> Um, oh, I have to say Rear Window just because I have to remain on brand. Um, I do love that movie. <laughs> Diabolique, I love. Oh, that's God, from yeah. 55. Uh, oh, 
man. Uh, the Thing from Another World is great. Father of the Bride is great. Oh, there's just too many. Rebel Without a Cause. That was one of my very favorite movies for a very long time. <laughs> House on Haunted Hill. I think I'm going to go with Diabolique. That's a good one. That's a good one, definitely. So, like, so what are we down to? The 19, 19... See, this is where you really 40s. get into trouble. The 1940s and the 1930s, there's so many good films, both both uh, outside of Hollywood and inside of Hollywood. I mean, this is like the heyday, really. Uh, I, I think for the 40s, I, I believe that His Girl Friday is 1940. Yes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say that because that is a great film. I think I'm gonna go Casablanca. That was my grandpa's uh, favorite movie, and I love that movie too. I know it's hard. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing. And I I mean for me the ni- 1930s again really easy. So I'm just gonna go with Hitchcock the entire time. Uh, okay. Lady Lady Vanishes 1938, greatest film ever, pretty much. Um, obviously, superior film to all other films. <laughs> Man. Um... I'm going to go with um, The Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. Interesting. Got to mix and, it up a little bit. And I think we're down to the 1920s. And 1920s is actually very easy for me. Uh, Sunrise of Song of Two Humans, the Murnau film from 1927. I have never seen that, and I need to. Um, it is, it's beautiful. It is such a gorgeous film. Hmm. It's heartbreaking. It's wonderful. I will watch it. Uh... Yeah, I haven't seen too many from the 20s. I think I'm going to go with Metropolis. Okay, there you go. Just because right. I find that so fascinating. Probably my favorite, actually my favorite one that I've seen from the 20s is probably The Kid. Oh, the Charlie Chaplin film? Yeah. Yeah. I might go with that one, actually. I like The Kid. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, uh, Elodie. That was a wonderful question. And thank you also to... BC Wallen, who they and thank everybody who sends us questions. It's always nice because we we wind up having interesting discussions as a result. So let's see, what do we want to move on to? We've got a few more things, but we want to be certain that we're not running over time. Uh, Well, let's talk about let's very briefly let's talk about Disney's launching their quote quote unquote first gay character. Um, so according to, uh, a number of different sources, but according to Disney themselves, um, the Disney is going to feature their first gay character, I guess, in an animated film or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, in Onward, which is the Pixar film that is coming out very shortly. And which I have is, seen. Which you have seen. Okay. So you're and it is to- good. Yeah, I can talk about this because I, I know exactly what who they're talking about and I know exactly why this claim is stupid and bullshit. <laughs> so so the character is Officer Spectre, who's a Cyclops cop, uh, mm-hmm. voiced by Lena Waithe. And she shows up in this film and, and apparently mentions her girlfriend. And that Dis- Disney is counting this as, quote, their first gay character. However, I believe that didn't they try to claim that their first gay character was like, um, what's his name, LeFou in uh, the remake of Beauty and the Beast? Yeah. And and they keep on doing this. We're just like, ah, yes, it's our first gay character. And it's, th- it's things like, oh, we're going to briefly mention the fact that she has a girlfriend. Uh, so right. tell us, tell us, Karen, is is this anything or is this performative representation? Oh, no, this is totally performative. And it, I didn't know about this claim until I saw the movie. 
And when I saw it, I was like, oh, they're going to try to give themselves credit for it. And seriously, like the next day I saw an article, I was like, yep, 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 that, that checks out. So basically, this character is in one scene, has a few lines, and basically is talking to another character about step-parenting. And that's when she brings up that her girlfriend has kids and it's a tough transition or something like that. And that's all it is. You never see this character before that or ever again afterwards. And it's... I don't... I didn't even know her name until you just said it. (laughs) So... (laughs) Um, so yeah, this, it's, it really is just, oh, look at us. We're going to just slip it in there and give ourselves credit for it. It's like when, um, when what's his face, Anthony Russo played that character in the, in the self-help group or the, whatever, the group therapy session in Avengers Endgame. And he's talking about going on a date with a man and it's like, okay, first of all, but you're a straight person playing this character. And second of all, it's one tiny scene in a movie from someone that we don't know and never see again. That doesn't count. You don't get to give yourself credit for diversifying your films when this is what you're calling diversity. Yeah, exactly. It's really, I mean, it's become almost a joke now. Like like I say, Disney has already claimed once before that they were going to feature their first gay character. And like you say, the Russo part in, um, in Avengers, it's just, it's weird. There's there's something that's just a little weird about it. And of course, a number of people have pointed out that these are characters and lines that can very easily be cut out of the film um, for foreign distribution to countries that are less tolerant of uh, of even discussion of gay people mm-hmm. <laughs> or yep. you know non heterosexual people. And and so of course this comes off as pandering. It, it's just like oh you know you're going to say oh aren't we great you know representation everybody. It's just like no you're not. You're not actually having a gay character would be to have a character who is gay who is involved in the rest of the plot isn't just a one off character that mentions having a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, and I mean, several people referenced, uh, Paranorman, which was a, which is an animated film made by Leica years ago. And there is a prominent gay character. Now, one of the issues with that one is, is that you don't actually know that he's gay until the very end of the film, but he's a major character throughout the entire film. And there's a little bit of a joke at the end with him, uh, with him being gay because he's this very, he's this very big macho dude. Um, but it's, it's we, I don't know, it's weird. It's weird to see Disney doing these kinds of things, and they're sort of clapping themselves on the back, being like, "Ah, oh, yes, we have representation now." It's just like, I mean, no, not, not really. <laughs> this isn't really representation. <laughs> That's the thing. They're one of the biggest companies in the entire world. No, there's not a country on this planet you can go to where people haven't heard of any of anything Disney associated, you know? And if they really were serious about giving voice to marginalized groups, to representing every, every facet of people, then they would be willing to say, you know what? All right, fine. This country's going to be mad about it. Then okay. Well, we're only going to be making like 2 or 3 million dollars in that country anyway. We don't have to worry about going there. So, that's the thing. It's like they need to be willing if they really want to 
to take the lead, if they really want to uh, be a a company that celebrates people and celebrates diversity, they need to be willing to not make a, you know, not make some money in some places. Even in mm-hmm. this country, there are people who won't go see. I remember when Finding Dory came out, which Finding Dory was terrible for a lot of reasons, but um, there was a joke Ellen DeGeneres made on her show that uh, the whole thing starts because Mr. Ray goes, goes away on vacation and it's because he's doing um, gender correction. And people ran with that. It's not in the movie. It never actually <laughs> happened in the movie. But people got pissed and refused to go see Finding Dory because of it here in this country. And But it's like, okay, Disney doesn't need to worry about that. They're, every movie they make now makes a billion dollars. Like, they can sacrifice a couple million for the sake of actually giving people a voice. Yeah, exactly. It's very... It they're, it's cowardly. That's really what it comes mm-hmm. down to is that it's cowardly. And also, I think a lot of it is is very much that that it is pandering. It wants to they want to get the sort of plaudits for having representation without actually doing any of the work. Yeah. And and there's like you're saying there's nothing stopping them from actually including gay characters. There's also nothing stopping them from not <laughs> like. The, the problem is these right. little feints towards representation in a certain sense are almost more offensive than lack of representation because it's like, oh, here's like a little thing that, that you could be like, aha, yes, it's a gay, it's a gay cop. It's like, that's not, that doesn't count. That's, that's just you trying to, to win brownie points for this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <sighs> it's exhausting. Disney, do better, for God's sake. Like, stop, like, get your head out of your own asses. Um, uh, well, and this is also coming along uh, at the at the same time that they have cut the um, major, and who's usually referred to as a major bisexual character, um, out of Mulan, uh, the live action version of Mulan, because they're worried about um, the directors apparently think that if Chang has a thing from Mulan, that it's it's coercion because he's a superior officer or something like that it's very confusing and i'm not (laughs) certain what they thought was happening except that men still don't understand the concept of consent and coercion or what that looks like yeah kind of frightening isn't it (laughs) (laughs) so okay let's move on to some very quick uh little review discussions i wanted to say something about farmageddon uh, the Shaun the Sheep movie because it's amazing and it's adorable and it's the cutest thing in the world and you can watch it on Netflix right now. It did not get I don't think it got even um, even a feint at a theatrical release in the United States but it is directed by Will Betcher and uh, Richard Fellin and it is a standalone sequel to the original Shaun the Sheep movie which if you have not seen you are missing out and it will actually like cure your soul basically um this this one is about sean the sheep who is a troublemaking little sheep who lives on a farm with his flock and his farmer and a guard dog bitzer and he keeps on getting himself into trouble and he eventually meets a little alien who has crash landed um in the woods nearby and he has to try to help the alien get home and that's the plot so it's definitely a kid's movie. It is also fucking adorable. And there's no dialogue. Um, 
yet again, Shaun the Sheep, the, the original Shaun the Sheep film has, there's no human dialogue. Everybody makes noises. There are baas and the human beings make uh, sort of peanuts-like noises. Um, but there is no actual conversation. And you've got the same thing here. It's it's really a wonderful, adorable film. Did you have any thoughts about this, Karen? I know that I like love these sorts of movies because I love them, uh, but I don't know if you got a chance to see it or what you thought. Oh, I did not get a chance to see it. I'm so ah! sorry. But I want to. I love the original movie. And I love the, these animators and the style, I think, most of the movies they've done have been really great. So I know I'll watch it. I will. Shame. Shame. Yes. It's, it's adorable. It is on Netflix right now. So it's like an hour and a half film. It is totally cute. Uh, and, and it really will just, just calm you down and make you happy to make you feel hopeful about the world. Uh, Karen, did you want to give us a very quick rundown of what you thought of the invisible man, which is not a happy movie. <laughs> Um, well, it depends on how you look at things, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's not a happy movie, but it's really, it's one of those, like, yes, this is what horror movies should be. And I'm not going to get into a lot of details because we're going to actually do a full review next week after Lauren's had a chance to see it. But, uh, I think there are definitely a couple of things that I wish had done differently, especially after I saw it a second time, some things really stood out that as like, Oh, why did they have to do that? That was kind of dumb. But, uh, I think Lee Wanell really understands how to, how to create tension in a very effective way. The way that they use sound in this movie, the way that they use the score, it's so effective. And, as a horror movie, as a reintroduction of a universal monster, I think it's really great and a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I think that a great um, a great double feature would be Birds of Prey and The Invisible Man. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that, which gives me a great deal of hope about this movie. So I'm excited. I, I am. I wanted it to be good. Uh, and Elizabeth it sounds Moss like this is great. I, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, okay, so we will talk more about The Invisible Man uh, next week after I've had a chance to see it. And uh, we may even do some spoilers if we feel like it. So, you know, pay attention to that. So that's going to close us out for this week. Um, I do just want to give a shout out to our patrons who are wonderful and happy people who give us money and keep us keep the lights on, keep us supported, keep us hosted. Um, so thank you so much to Adriana, Crooked Table Podcast, Michael, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matthew, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. Thank you guys for, for continuing to support us. If you would like to support us and you have not yet done so, uh, we do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash citizendame. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, we are, of course, always on Twitter at Citizen Dame Pod and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod. We are still on Facebook, I think, uh, facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. You can send us an email with your comments, questions, games, etc. That's CitizenDamePod at gmail.com. Of course, go to our website, CitizenDamePod.com. I believe that Karen is going to have her Invisible Man review up. I've got some articles up about Birds of Prey, uh, some Blu-ray reviews, so there's a lot of good stuff coming. 
Uh, we do have a Zazzle store if you want to buy some stuff from us. That's zazzle.com slash citizen dame. We have some adorable bumper stickers and t-shirts, which I own, and, uh, and buttons, which I also own. If you want to give us a couple of dollars uh, but don't want to make the commitment to Patreon, we do have a Ko-Fi. That's ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. And, of course, you can always get in touch with us individually. I am at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am at Karen M. Peterson. And that's going to close us out. We will talk to you guys later. Bye. Helen. Yes? Helen. Who is that? I came for you. Do I know you? No. No. But you doubted me. I'm sorry, I have to go. No need to leave yet. But I'm late. You are not content with the stories. So I was obliged to come. Be my victim. Be my victim.